You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. How many people have heard the story of Jonah before? How many people? Good, everybody here. How many people heard it when you were a little kid? Good, okay. Uh, How many people remember felt boards? You guys remember felt boards? I wanted a felt board so badly for this. <laughs> Alas, I didn't have enough time. Yeah, so we, we know the story, right? We've heard the story of Jonah before. When I was a kid, um, it was acted out for me a few different times. And then one of the times when I was in middle school, I was Jonah, and that was exciting too. Um, and so I think we've heard this, read this a bunch of different ways. And for me growing up, and, and I don't know if it was this way for you, for me growing up, it was a very simple story. It was a story uh, about obeying God and the consequences of disobeying God. Okay, uh, you know, Jonah, he, he, he disobeys God. God says, go to Nineveh, and Jonah doesn't do it. And so God sends a whale, and he gets swallowed by this whale, which seems pretty difficult and bad. And, and then he prays a prayer inside the whale. God, I'm sorry, I'm going to look to you again. And the whale spits him up on dry land, the end. Moral of the story is don't disobey God, obey God. That's what I learned when I was a kid. So I'd be doing my times tables at the dinner table and uh, I'd be like, these times tables are miserable and I get to 12, which always really got me. And, uh, and I remember thinking distinctly, this is true, distinctly remembering going, if I don't do my 12 times tables, I'm disobeying my parents. And if I'm disobeying my parents, I'm disobeying God. And if I'm disobeying God, maybe the next time I go to the beach, I could be in a little bit of trouble. Like legitimately thinking that, legitimately. So this is the kind of thing that we think. We think it's pretty pretty clear, it's pretty self-explanatory, it's pretty black or white. And then we grow up and we we become adults and what we do is we recognize that God might not be that, um, that, 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 you know, vengeful sort of, if you disobey me, you're going to get swallowed by a whale kind of God. And we struggle with that part. And then what we do is we struggle with the story itself. Did this really happen? Was there really a fish? Was there not a fish? Is the fish, fish literal? If the fish wasn't literal, should we take the whole Bible literally? You know, it, we have all these issues and questions and doubts surrounding it. And so what our, we're tempted to do as adults is we are tempted to throw the story away, okay? And if we're tempted to throw the story away, then we are doing ourselves a great disservice because I think this story, this story in particular, has major implications, major implications for how we are a part of a world that God is constantly redeeming. It's actually pretty exciting. And so that's what we're going to do in this next series, this retold series. We're going to take all these stories that were on the felt boards that we had growing up. Okay, we're going to take the stories that we learned growing up as kids, the ones of, uh, you know, starting with Jonah and the whale and the ones with uh, uh, Moses and the ones with Noah and all the other good ones, and we're going to talk about how, as adults, they might not be the story we remember. In fact, they might be a little darker, a little bit more controversial, a little bit more violent, but maybe even a little bit more life-changing. So that's a good thing. So, all right, so we've got to put our concrete thinking away. We've got to put our felt boards away. And let's get started retelling the story of Jonah. If you have your Bible apps, I want you to, uh, to, to scroll with me to two different places, okay? Because we're not actually going to start Jonah in Jonah. We're going to start Jonah in 2 Kings, okay? Can you guys find 2 Kings? I've sent you there a couple times in the past couple months. Uh, okay, so 2 Kings chapter 15, this is where we need to start. And what is 2 Kings? It's literally a list of all the kings of Israel and all the things that happened to them while they were yeah, ruling, okay? So let's read. 2 Kings 15, verse 19. It says, Then Pul, king of Assyria, invaded the land 
And Menahem gave him a thousand talents of silver to gain his support and strengthen his own hold on the kingdom. All right. Now we're going to go to 2 Kings 15, 29. In the time of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, came and took Ejon, Abel, Beth, Maka, Genoa, Kedesh, Hazor. He took Gilead and Galilee, including all the land of Naphtali, and deported the people to Israel. Okay, we got one more. Ready? This one's in Kings 18. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. 2 Kings 18.13. All right, what do they all have in common? These three things that happen, what do they all have in common? Yeah, I heard it. What? Kings in Assyria. We have Assyria invading and attacking and deporting the people of Israel. Okay, so what does that look like? So uh, the invaded one, that one probably makes the most sense. Assyria invaded Israel, and when they did that, they did it with bows and arrows. They did it with uh, a lot of force. They did it with swords, and so it was pretty violent. They killed a lot of people. A lot of people died. Uh, And then in the second one, it says they deported. It says they deported the people of Israel to Assyria. Uh, Deportation, it's known today, it's made its way into the news, but deportation does not mean the same thing. Deportation in the the time of Israel meant that what was happening is people were forcibly taken from their families, taken from their tribes, and made slaves over in Israel. It's a terrible thing, it's part of our history too, but forcibly taken from your family and then brought to Assyria to be a slave there. That's what it means to... to, um, Deport. And then finally it says Assyria attacked. And in the Hebrew, this word attack translates into laid siege. And so lay, uh, laying siege in, the, in this time, the time of Israel, meant that uh, you, you weren't attacking. What you were doing is you were cutting off their water supply and you were cutting off their food supply. And so what you were doing is you were Assyria, you were cutting off water supply and food supply, and you were just waiting it out. You were just waiting for people to starve. You're just waiting for people to die of thirst. You're just waiting for people to turn on one another. And then when the country's weak enough, then you go in and you take over. Okay, so that's what Assyria has done three different times to Israel. I need you to imagine for a moment. I need you to use your imaginations, okay? And it's not going to be that pleasant. But I need you to do I need you to work with me here. I need you to imagine you're walking down the street in New York City and all of a sudden bombs start falling. I need you to imagine that. I need you to imagine that you're running. And I need you to imagine you don't know where your friends are and you don't know where your family members are and a building goes on fire and you vaguely remember that an co- uh, old coworker now works at that building and, and you're panicked and there's terror. I need you to imagine that. I need you to imagine, and this happened in our history, which just, just saddens me to death. I need you to imagine that you are taken away from your family and you will never see them again because somebody has bought you Somebody says you're not worthy of being human. They've bought you and they've made you a slave. Not only have they taken you from your family, but they have taken you to another country where you don't speak the language or understand the customs or anything. Can you imagine that happening? I need you to imagine. I need you to imagine that you are sitting in your home and your loved one, your brother, your daughter, your son, your father is dying because someone says that they're not worthy of a water supply. Or someone is not worthy of food, and so there's nothing you can do. You're sitting there, and you're just watching this person die a slow death. Can you imagine that? How would you feel? How would you feel? Vengeance? Anger? 
You probably want to find the people that did that and have them die a slow death too. You might have like revenge fantasies, like Django Unchained kind of fantasies if they you know, took people and enslaved them, right? You would have a hatred, a righteous hatred towards these people. We got it? Now we can read Jonah. Let's read Jonah. Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Does anyone want to guess where the great city of Nineveh might be? Assyria. The great city of Nineveh is in Assyria. So when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he hears, go to the great city of Nineveh, he's going, wait, 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 I have to go to the place where they killed my family? I need to go to the place where they took some of my family as slaves or some of my people as slaves. I have to go to the place where they have starved us out and killed us in that way. And I'm going to preach a second chance. I'm, I'm preaching them to that they have a second chance. This story gets a little bit more interesting now, right? A little bit more. So can you imagine if you're reading this story and you're an Israelite and Jonah gets in a boat and takes off the other way towards Tarshish? What are you doing? You are rooting for him. Go, Jonah. As far away as you can, your anger is righteous. You are right not to want to help the Ninevites. You are right not to want to do what God tells you to do. This is absolutely a story about disobedience. This is the good kind of disobedience. It's civil disobedience. Why should this group that has raped probably and killed and pillaged and enslaved and starved us get any kind of word from you, God? Why should that happen? I'm off to Tarshish. You know what that would be like for us? You ever see that, uh, ISIS, the, the, that ISIS disturbing video where the, the people are being lowered in a cage, Christians are being lowered in a cage, and they drown slowly, and it's awful. And then God says to one of us, I need you to go to those men that did that. I need you to tell them that they have a second chance, that, that, that there's a grace for them. What about Dylan Roof, who, who shot nine people a couple weeks ago? What if God said to one of you today, I need you to fly down to Charleston. I need you to go to his jail cell. I need you to tell him that he's loved. And he's got a second chance. All of a sudden, we'd be like, "What? seriously? Leave me alone. I'm playing Xbox. That's what we would do. We wouldn't want to do this. We'd be outraged. It'd be like, no, there's a justice here, and it's a righteous justice. That's what Jonah's doing. He's saying, God, there's no way. These people did so much. Your judgment upon them is enough. Okay, let them just be judged. They've hurt us in a, in a tremendous amount of ways. And so that's what happens. And Jonah gets on this boat to Tarshish, and then this giant storm comes up, and everybody's scared for their lives. Everybody's freaking out, except for Jonah, who's sound asleep because he knows his anger is righteous. He knows he's right. And, and, and the boat's about to break apart, and these sailors, they say, Jonah, Who's responsible for making this trouble? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And he answers, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They already knew he was running away from the Lord. And he, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And, I will, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault this great storm is happening to you. Now, not for a second, not for one second should we believe that Jonah is trying to be nice and sacrificial here. Jonah is not trying to be nice or sacrificial. You know what Jonah's doing right now? Jonah's breaking down the big guns. He's breaking out the big guns. Here's a nice rhetorical question. How many of you have ever gotten into a fight with a loved one? Everybody, right? Yes, all of us. It's... 
You know the fight? Do you know the fight I'm talking about? The fight when you know you are absolutely right? You are furious, right? It's the fight that if you're married, that little thought goes through your mind like, we could probably be divorced right now, and it's cool. Like, it's that, <laughs> it's that thought. It's that thought, and it goes through your mind. You know, married people, you know the thought. You know that thought. If you're dating somebody, it's like, oh, we're probably going to break up. It's that thought, right? If you, you know, if it's a fight with a family member, it's the one that you're going, you know, I will never visit for Thanksgiving. I'm not even going to visit for President's Day. Like, it's huge. It's it's like such a big deal. It's that fight because you know you're right and the person you're arguing with is so stupid, right? And you're just sitting there and you're going, how do I get them to understand how dumb they are? And you break out the big gun. I'll tell you an example of the big gun. Uh, One of my good friends yeah, I grew up playing baseball. He was really, really good at baseball. Played all through college. And then uh, because of a couple things that happened, never quite made it to the major leagues. And it's always been like this issue for him, right? And so he told me that one time him and his wife were arguing. And his wife was like, oh, yeah, well, you suck at baseball. Like, that's like the big guns, right? That's it. Like, it gets you right here because you're just trying to convey how righteously angry you are. You're just like your mother. How many people use that one? Chris, not in his head back there. You're a failure. It's the thing that you know is going to blow up this conversation, right? It's just going to blow it right up, but it's going to show everybody and prove to everybody that what you think is absolutely right. And that's what Jonah's doing here. Throw me overboard, because what's going to happen if he gets thrown overboard in a storm? He's going to die. So he's saying, I would much rather die, much rather die than actually have to go help these people in Nineveh. So go ahead, toss me overboard. Do it. Big gun. Blowing it up. And so now we get the fish, right? And the fish, it has sort of a small part in the story. The fish is basically like God going, no, no, no. You're not getting off that easy. You're going to stay alive, and I'm going to bring a fish. That's where the fish comes in. So the fish basically just keeps him alive. It keeps him alive so he has to do the work of God. And then, eh, but, but, you know, like, I get this. I, I get where Jonah's coming from here. Because in Jonah's world, and we've talked about this before, there is a law. And the law says you follow God this way. And when you follow God this way, you are in God's good graces. And if you don't follow God this way, you're on the outsides and you deserve God's wrath. And that's the way life is lived for Jonah and for the Israelites at this time. And so right now, there's a God who's blurring categories. This God's changing things up. I I spoke one time and I told us how we are physically made to have dualistic minds. Our minds are physically, we have two parts. We are made for black and white. We are made for right and wrong. We are made for like, this side over here is good. This side over here is bad. You do this on this side. You don't do this on this side. Our brains are wired that way. And when God starts to scramble categories and say, hey, these people who aren't righteous, these people who are bad, these people who hurt you, I'm giving them a second chance, it literally is changing the physiology of your brain. Of course you're going to go into crisis. Your brain, your head hurts. It's really happening, and it's happening to us because God's going, no, I'm scrambling categories. And you see why Jonah's like, no, just throw me overboard. You see why it's happening. But while he's in the fish, Jonah prays this prayer, and this is what the prayer says. I love it, actually. It's a beautiful prayer. It says, you've hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled all about me, your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I've been banished from your sight, and yet, you, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. I resonate with this because I have my categories. Jonathan, you deserve to have this thing. 
whatever it may be. And when you don't get it, there's some pain there. Oh, man, I do feel like I'm being thrown out to sea a little bit. Or so-and-so dies, and anybody but them, because they were an incredible person. What is, that's not fair. It doesn't make sense. And it feels like we're being tossed around in the breakers. Or calamity hour after calamity after calamity happens. You, you buy a house, and then there's one problem, and the next problem, and the next problem. You're like, I just wanted a place for my family. This doesn't make any sense to me. And you feel like the waves are going over your head and crashing. That's what it feels like when God starts to scramble our expectations. That's what happens when our brain starts to move from a dualistic, it's this way or that way, into the rest of life, to the gray areas that are difficult. And yet Jonah goes, well, you're God and I'm not, so I guess I'm going to look back at you. And God spits Jonah out, or the fish spits Jonah out, and, uh, and that's where our, our story ends, right? The Bible story. It's all, it's all happy now, right? Wasn't that a happy ending that I just gave? <laughs> but that's where it ends, right there. We're missing out on so much. If it ends right there, then there's two things that I think happen that hurt us. I think number one, Number one, if we end there, it's not done. It's not wrapped tidy. Jonah's still really, really angry. He still never makes it to Nineveh where he's supposed to go. And then number two, we start thinking about the fish an awful lot. And everybody I talk to, everybody who has doubts, they're like, but what about the fish? Is the fish real? I don't don't believe a fish could swallow somebody and spit them back out. And if we do that, we're missing the point of the story. The point of the story is there is a God, and this God's judgment is love. That's the point of the story. This God's judgment is love. So you will go to Nineveh, the city that hurt and enslaved and killed and raped and starved. And you will go there and you will tell them that I do have judgment and that my judgment is love. So that's what Jonah does. He goes there. He does that. He does such a good job of telling them about God. And here's what happens. When Jonah's warning reaches the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with a sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This proclamation he issued in Nineveh, by the decree of kings and nobles, do not let the people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and violence. And who knows? Maybe God will relent. And with compassion turn from fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned around, he relented. And he didn't bring the destruction that he had threatened. Now, the, Israel, the Israelite writer is having a little fun here, right? Assyria has messed with them so long. The Israelite uh, writer is saying that um, they all wore sackcloth. In those days, culturally, you'd wear sackcloth outwardly on your body to show that you were wrong about something. So if you saw somebody wearing a sackcloth, you'd be like, oh, that person was wrong about something. Like if somebody here today was wearing a sackcloth, they'd be like, oh, they didn't take out the trash, do something they're supposed to. Like you, that's what you did. It was an outward appearance of, of something you were supposed to do but didn't do. And so the author's going, everybody had to wear a sackcloth. Everybody was in such bad shape, including the animals. The animals had to wear it too, which we want to know if all dogs go to heaven. They do because they repented. <laughs> that's misusing scripture though. Um, <laughs> so, I, so I can't do that either. But I just, it's like a little funny thing. So, so what happens here? Well, what happens here is God does judge Nineveh. God judges their slavery, and his judgment was love. God judges the way they killed people, and his judgment was love. 
God judges the way that, that, they, were invade, that they invaded others and that, and that judgment was love. God judges the way that they starved people out and that judgment was love. Can you imagine going to ISIS and ISIS saying, I, you're right, everything you're saying is right. I turn around completely and you walk away and you're like, well, that's good enough for me. I guess they're not gonna, there'll be no retribution. Keep, keep on living. Can you imagine what might happen in this world if we did that? What if Dylan Roof, who shot nine people last week, what if uh, he went to the judge and said, Judge, I sincerely regret and am completely sorry for everything that happened. And you have to understand, I've changed my ways completely. And the judge says, good enough for me. Case dismissed. Can we imagine? First of all, Twitter would explode if we did that. But can you imagine the outrage, the people on the streets the people that would be holding signs, the people that would be saying, you are breaking up my dualistic mind. You are breaking up the rights and the wrongs, and you're telling me that there is a radical grace that I can't even comprehend. And Jonah couldn't comprehend it either. Jonah couldn't comprehend it because when the people of Nineveh are saved or have the grace, here's what Jonah says to them, or it says to God, he goes, okay, you've given them grace. I know that you're gracious and compassionate, God. You're slow to anger and abounding in love, and, you resent, or, and you're a God who relents from sending calamity. But now, Lord, take my life. It is better for me to die than to live. Your grace is so other ordinary, out of the world, crazy, that I can't even handle it. I would rather die than have to live out this grace to other people. I would rather die than have my judgment on these people be love. I'd rather die than that. And the question for us becomes is what happens? What happens to Jonah? Because here's how the story ends. You want to hear how the story ends? This is how it ends. God says... Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. As many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about them? That's it. Story over. Jonah says, I want to die. Your grace is too big. And God says, should I not be concerned about them too? There is no tidy bow. There is no happy ending. There is us wrestling with attention of the fact that God is a judge and that his judgment is love for the most unlikely and the most wicked and the most difficult and our enemies and the ones we fight. God's judgment is love. So the story is that can Jonah forgive? But it's not can Jonah forgive, it's can Israel forgive because it's Israel's story. Can Israel forgive Assyria? That's what this story is about. Can Israel love Assyria regardless of what they've done to them? But this isn't just an Israel story because it's in the New Testament scripture, which means it's us as a church. It's our story, or it's in the Old Testament, so it's our story too. So the question is, when, when we as a church are hurt or wronged, it's a story about us. Can we forgive? Can our judgment be love? And it's not just a story about our church, but it's a story about us and me and you. When we're wronged, when we're hurt, when we've physically been attacked, when we figuratively have been invaded or enslaved, can we forgive? Can our judgment be love? And this story is about us personally because the truth of the matter is us personally, we deal with our own demons as well. I'm sure there are plenty of us here in this room today who are running away from that thing that we did, that skeleton that's in our closet that as soon as it pops out, we will be judged for and we will burn in hell for it. Or that, at least that's what we believe. 
right? That's that thing that, that makes us a terrible person. We'll never be great until we get rid of this and we have it here. And this story begs us to say, can you forgive yourself? Can this judgment that you have on yourself be loved? This is a radical story. It's a radical story that blurs all lines. It changes all expectations. I've said this before and I'll say it again. It, it, this story means that when you draw a line in the sand and you say that I'm here and on the other side are, are the, all the terrible people that I hate and all the people that have committed the worst of the worst atrocities and all the people that have hurt young kids and everybody else and, and Westboro Baptist Church and whatever else and, and here's the line and I'm on this side and they're on the other side. There's Jesus standing on the other side with them. That's what this story tells us. Can we enact? Can we evoke? Can we use this radical judgment? I think right now there are people uh, uh, that, that have hurt us. Right now maybe we're hurting ourselves. Right now there's a group that's hurt us. Right now on your chair you have a pen and a paper. It's put on everybody's chair. If you're new here and you don't want to do this, it's fine. But we're getting ready to come to this table right now. It's the table, it's the Eucharist. It's the table of good news. It's a table that says we are judged and our judgment is absolutely love. That's what it is. It's a table that says through the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is radical grace. Grace that is so hard to fathom that maybe we just want to die or throw ourselves overboard or run away. And I want you to write down this name. And I want you to bring it up to this table, and I want you to put it in one of these jars up here. When you put it in the jar, I want you to take the cracker, and I want you to dip it in the juice, and I want you to sit back down, and I want you to pray. I want you to pray for that person's name that you wrote down. Maybe that person was you. Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's an old boss, whoever it might be, right? Whoever that person's name is, I want you to come back and pray for that person. And I want you to understand this, that this table... This table that shows us that God's judgment is love, this table is big enough for Jonah. And this table is big enough for Assyria, and it's big enough for Nineveh, and it's big enough for the Israelites. This table is big enough for our enemies. This table is big enough for each and every one of us. There is judgment, and God's judgment is love. Will you pray with me? Uh, God, uh, it's so difficult when, uh, when we feel like the waves are have, have crashing over us and they're all around us. And, and it's so difficult when people aren't getting what they deserve. And it's so difficult when um, uh, justice doesn't take place. In fact, we, we protest against it often and call it injustice. And God, it is so hard for us to comprehend the fact that you stand on the side of the oppressor. It's so hard for us to comprehend the fact that you stand on the side of those who hurt us. God, it's so hard for us to comprehend the fact that you are going, why not them? Should I not care about them too? And God, we just say, don't care about them. Care about us. And God, you go, no. Nope. My judgment on all of us is love. Give us the courage to live that out starting now, starting today. Amen.